0: Hello and welcome to the new age. What a day it was, 24 of February. Almost no one expected an actual war with Ukraine to happen. globalist slash government of Ukraine also probably thought that Russia was bluffing. Well, it wasn't. This morning we woke up in a different world, with a very uncertain future and a brutal present. Uh, Truth be told, I don't feel so good. Being this close to an actual happening of such magnitude is quite dread-inducing and not cozy at all. Still, after 8 years of Donbass shelling and war crimes against Russian people, something was bound to happen. And it did. Kirill bravely dedicated 10 hours of his day providing and translating for you various reports, claims, insights and war videos. Russian forces are advancing in a proclaimed denazification operation, special operation, yet Ukrainian ground troops still stand as a capable force. Heavy fighting all over the place, Ukrainian fleet, anti-aircraft systems and air forces seem to be crushed. So Kirill, let's recap what happened throughout
1: this insanely action-packed day. Yeah, wow. Well, it all began at roughly 6 a.m. in the morning, Russian time when the russian armed forces started attacking ukraine with um, rocket attacks with iskander and kaliber rockets uh, which are similar to american cruise missiles i guess they just published their briefing for the day the final briefing um, and reported that 83 objects of military infrastructure on the ground were destroyed among them military bases um air force bases uh, the ukrainian fleet has more or less stopped existing uh, large parts of the ukrainian air force were destroyed on the ground and basically 95 percent of uh, Ukraine's anti-air defenses were also destroyed in this first strike then there were several attacks by Russian tactical groups mm. It was very hard to tell uh, from where and how they were attacking at first but i think by now the strategy is more or less clear there are three fronts divided into several um, attack vectors the first one is the eastern front which began in the donetsk and Vugansk republic which were recently uh, recognized as sovereign entities by the russian state actual fighting was done by the people's militias of the donbass republics and the russian army provided air and artillery support for them in donbass the bulk of the ukrainian army is currently stationed the most uh, experienced most uh, well-equipped troops are there and thus the offensive uh, it has been moving forward but quite slowly Uh, so they have penetrated the ukrainian line of defense the, which was extremely heavily fortified uh, to a depth of around 10 kilometers. Then, further to the north, um, another group has been attacking the city of Kharkov. Kharkov was uh, basically the place where all of the Ukrainian army was uh, concentrated in its leadership during the war in Donbas, during the hot phase of the war. And it's a very, very heavily fortified city. It's probably the most well-fortified place in Ukraine right now, even much more so than Kiev. So the fighting there is quite fierce. There have been losses on both sides. And uh, by now, the last I heard, or the last I saw, Russian tanks were rolling into the city. And uh, it's unclear whether they will keep attacking uh, tonight or only go ahead tomorrow again. Then the next uh attack vector is even further to the north basically on the latitude of around kursk they have seized the city of kanatop and are approaching chernigov this is and from chernigov i assume they will go south towards kiev ah and another group is approaching the city of poltava so four or five attack uh, vectors in the on the eastern front then you have the southern front Um, which began in Crimea the attack from Crimea basically had the first goal was to lift the blockade on on Crimea Um, as you maybe have heard or maybe not in 2014 the Ukrainian government has uh, blockaded the water infrastructure for Crimea so there were huge yes from the Dnieper River and there were huge problems in crimea was getting access to yeah, drinking I, water island
0: was drying up pretty quickly and now the water flows yes crimea.
1: yes the city of uh, kachovka has been seized the southern part of the dnieper river has been crossed and uh, russian troops are entering the city of Kherson right now at the same time they also went east from crimea and the city of genichesk has also been seized uh, i assume that uh, this uh, troop will also attack in two directions, um, first going on to Nikolaev and probably Odessa, and the other one will go uh, further east towards Militopol, and perhaps uh, it will unite with the uh, Donetsk and Lugansk Republic forces to encircle the city of Mariupol. This is a possibility, which is uh, I could assume. Maybe they will also go on toward Kiev, I don't know. So this is the southern front, and then you have the northern front, which is, uh, I think, the most interesting one. It has just uh, because it has crossed um, the border from bitter Russia and uh, went on directly on offensive of towards Kiev. Just now, uh, as we're recording this, it's being reported that Russian forces have seized the city of Chernobyl and are now uh, crossing the woods and uh, going towards Kiev and aside from these three fronts there is also the spearhead russian paratroopers and special forces uh, have seized the gasta airport uh, on the outskirts of kiev and will probably use the night time to transport more troops there for an attack on kiev so kiev is being attacked from two two directions right now and possibly a third will uh, also come when parts when the forces that attack from Crimea turn north, which is also a distinct possibility. So the spearhead was extremely interesting in the military sense because current military doctrine mostly assumes that uh, para-drops are useless and costly, and an airlifted spearhead is basically just a good way to get cut off and uh, encircled and destroyed which uh, hopefully will not happen to the Russian troops. They are, as far as I understand, they are currently under attack. The Ukrainian National Guard has mounted a counterattack against Russian forces in Gostomir Airport. So There are talks about blockade. Yes, yes. The, the uh, Zelensky, I think, has claimed that, um, uh, that they have surrounded the Russian spearhead. I don't know if that's true, but I guess we'll see. So, yeah, if uh, the Ukrainians don't manage to drive the russian forces back from gastameo airport then there is nothing stopping um, russia airlifting a lot of troops there because uh, as i've already mentioned ukraine basically has no air defense anymore and there is really no way for them to stop the transport planes so aside from that the russian ministry of defense has reported that they have shot down two su-27s two su-24s One helicopter, and four Bayraktar drones. You know, the Turkish uh, rocket drones, which the Ukrainians were extremely uh, proud of. I am not sure even how many of them. I think uh, Ukraine has 12 of them. Or at least they uh, acquired uh, 12 of them a few years ago. I don't know if they have new ones in the meantime. But, anyway, if there are 12, then, well, like, four of them have been destroyed today. Which uh, was also quite interesting, that apparently the Russian forces have no problem dealing with the Pairaktars. They did a lot of damage to the Armenian troops during the last Armenian-Azerbaijani clash. So, yes, apparently the Russian army is uh, better equipped to deal with this. Uh,
0: So, yes, let's uh, discuss the Ukrainian positions the Azov battalion is in Mariupol,
1: right? Yes, right, the Azov battalion is stationed in Mariupol and I've been hearing reports, Um, I mean, I don't know how true they are, Uh, it could be propaganda, of course, Um, but uh, people claim that the Azov battalion is stopping civilians from leaving Mariupol to use them as human shields when Russian forces enter the city. It's possible. It's absolutely possible. If anyone would do it, it's Azov, of course. Mm, I've also heard there is a rumor. I also don't know how true it is that there is um, like a list of Ukrainian war criminals who are to be apprehended during the invasion. And of course, uh, Azov will be. Basically, I guess everyone who is member of Azov will be on the list because they have committed a lot of war crimes in twenty fourteen and fifteen. There have been many reports that there. It's no real organized resistance, it's all quite uh, spontaneous on the Ukrainian side, I guess. Um, And aside from Kharkov, I I haven't even heard of any really heavy fighting happening.
0: Yeah, and Anatoly came to our podcast. Anatoly, hello, we didn't agree with you a week and a half ago, uh, but then you turned out to be absolutely vindicated uh so yeah
2: okay yeah thanks yeah i mean a lot of people uh, i mean uh, frankly were skeptical about it and i think it's really more of a perhaps a cognitive uh, filter more than anything else uh, simply because uh, large-scale military operations on the european continent between uh, two uh, uh, modern states is something uh, that's a strange, I mean, well, uh, not exactly Afghanistan or whatever. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, it's basically something that uh, um, that um, hasn't happened for, like, when was the last really big war? Uh, the Iran-Iraq war, I suppose. Uh, so uh, so I think uh, from that perspective, uh, the, you, can, you can explain this. And really, it was uh, only the uh, mostly military analysts and uh, nerd types uh, who... Um, uh, who, who were on the ball pretty early, like the sort of people who look at uh, military dislocations and so on. Uh, whereas uh, uh, the um, Western journalists and Russian liberals alike, uh, they thought that Putin's Russia was too much of a cynical kleptocracy to go against the West so presently. And then there's like Western Russophiles like Michael Placey. Uh, who uh, were very disillusioned by, by like the entire RussiaGate scam, for instance. They've gotten used to, uh, uh, like, the Western media lying about Russia. So, uh, um, you know, on the one, uh, in the one case where uh, they sort of like uh, some U.S. intelligence community actually had a point, uh, they sort of automatically dismissed them. And uh, yeah, you've also got even like uh, Ukrainian activists. And even the uh, Ukrainian elites, like Zelensky himself, was uh, denying the Russian invasion until almost uh, the last days. And I mean, I think these are people who've just gotten so used to uh, uh, hyperventilating about the uh, about the Russian aggression, the great uh, wolf. That uh, that, yeah, uh, yeah, they've they've basically been crying wolf uh, and uh, being um, and shelling the Donbass indiscriminately and uh, uh, like blocking off water to Crimea, so they, they got really gotten used to uh, this impunity that they have, where they can do anything, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, when uh, finally uh, um, Russia sort of uh, withdrew its uh, mailed fist uh, uh, in preparation to smash them, they uh, were in shock and disbelief that it was going to happen.
0: Indeed, and Russian officials also were mocking, mocking the idea of an invasion, so yeah uh... yeah
2: like Dimitri Trenin for instance like the so-called entire expert community i mean you know i think the problem is that many of these people they just uh they have like the live these comfortable lives and they're very soyish in my opinion uh they uh, don't have any thematic energies uh they they can't uh, they can't imagine uh, just overturning the table
0: Yes, Uh, so let's talk a bit about Putin. Western media calls Putin a raving lunatic, and some Russians actually feel this way too. In any case, after this war, Putin will be in the history books as a defining ruler of early 21st century. Uh, So what do you guys think? Uh, Did he read way too much uh, history books and gone a little crazy? Or are his actions uh, completely rational?
2: Well, personally i mean i'm and i consider myself a russian nationalist and uh, i endorse those actions and uh, some of the ideas so i mean uh, putin i think was uh, telling uh, george bush that uh, ukraine was a fake country created by the bolsheviks as early as 2008 uh, that was the first mention i mean uh, we sort of all agree that his rhetoric and his actions uh, sort of the apart especially for a large part of the uh, 2010s, uh, uh, when he sort of like retreated in actions from those ideas. Well, I mean, we all know about those uh, those years after Minsk II, when we had a uh, uh, pro-Russian activists and Russia being sent back uh, to Ukraine, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and getting imprisoned and tortured there. So, obviously, yes, uh, uh, this for us this was a period of uh, extreme zradě. I would say. Uh, but um, over the past uh, two years, uh, sort of like one of my main theses, theses is that since 2018, 2019, Putin has made an increasingly uh, self evident and uh, uh, obvious um, bet on Russian on nationalism. Uh, well, simply because the sort of like leaky conservatism that he were, had previously been relying upon in the 2010s, it was uh, beginning to show its age, and opinion polls were. Polling and, I mean, probably it was driven partly by uh, the fact that Putin does seem to genuinely believe in this idea. But I mean, partly also, I think, because uh, uh, because uh, the sort of like nationalist uh, uh, idea is more attractive uh, to to Russians, especially younger Russians, uh, than uh, the sort of like uh, the victory cult and the uh, uh, you know the script and uh, all of that stuff from the 2010s. But then anyway, the article in question is called uh, uh, Russia's Nationalist Turn. Uh, it's my last big article, Adiun's review, before I move to Substack. Uh, so that was sort of like um, a look at the ideological evolution of, of uh, late Putinism. And um, uh, as regards the sort of uh, like the uh, uh, military technical decommunization operation, uh, which we are seeing uh, right now, Uh, It was pretty obvious that it was going to happen to me by mid-January at the latest, but I started taking it seriously around mid-December. Yeah, I mean, that was when uh, Russia began bringing out those, uh, um, like, unfulfillable uh, ultimatums to NATO, together with the troop movements, uh, the massive equipment movements, uh, basically the emptying out of the Far Eastern Military District, which was never done before in Russian history, not even in 1941. Uh, so this is a pretty cardinal change in military dislocations within within Russia, uh, coupled with these unprecedented, uh, unfulfillable demands to NATO, uh, which basically boiled down to uh, um, to turning the clock back to before 1997. So far as NATO expansion went, uh, that was when I decided that yeah, probably the chances of invasion was something like 50% or more, and uh, by by uh, by like. A, Feel, a week ago, it was seemed to me like it was 80, 85 percent or something like that.
0: As some bloggers said, uh, Russian Federation just returned its history back, and we are not no longer a 30 years old country or a century old country, but a thousand year old empire who plays by its own rules. But uh, the question still remains: What will be the outcomes and the implications for Russian international reputation? Because it will be a new age completely. Uh, clearly, uh, the longer the operation goes, the worse consequences will be. Um, so what do you think? Uh, to me, it's obvious that North Stream is no more, right? Uh, the oil uh-huh. and gas probably also cut <coughs> off. What uh, do you think?
2: Well, I mean, I don't think actually the oil and gas will be cut off. I mean, that's the one from thing Europe. that uh, that uh, that I mean. I mean, these are global markets. Uh, so even if Europe, for some reason, doesn't buy them, then then uh, we'll just sell the oil at any date to to other parties, and it's a global oil market. Uh, but uh, uh, for for the decade, I think that the I I uh, from at the outset I predicted that the operation would be over pretty quickly. Uh, simply because uh, in modern I mean, this is like where you have to understand modern warfare. Uh, Though she has total electronic warfare superiority, to total air superiority, it seems that the Ukrainian air defense system has been more or less sort of wiped out uh, during the first uh, 12 hours of the conflict. And um, uh, there's also artillery. uh so uh, Russian, Russian units actually have uh, uh, much more artillery firepower per soldier than do American units, uh, and it's now very accurate. Uh, so even back in World War II, uh, uh, artillery shells inflicted a, uh, ma- the majority of casual- casualties both in uh, World War I and even in the more mobile uh, World War II. And uh, since then, rifle power has made negligible technological advances, whereas artillery uh, has made very significant technological advances. I mean, you now have, uh, have targeting with, uh, with drones, for instance. Uh, so basically, uh, there's, uh, the Ukrainians don't have, uh, have zero chance of, of uh, fighting in open territories uh, because simply like when they move out, they're spotted and uh, wiped out immediately. Uh, and for this reason, I fully expect that the operation will be over very quickly, and I mean we're seeing this uh, this uh, this sort of uh, play out. Uh, the only exceptions would be when uh, a sort of heavily ideological, uh, ide- ideologized fighters like uh, from the Azov Battalion and so on uh, decide to hold up in, uh, in densely populated cities. Uh, that's going to be problematic, and it seems that something like that might might be happening in Kharkov uh but uh, otherwise yes i mean i expect this to be over within uh, to be largely over uh, within a week
1: i'm yeah. just now seeing that newsweek is reporting that american experts believe that kiev will fall within 96 hours
2: i think i think 48 hours
1: <laughs> okay. yeah no, i think I mean, I mean i guess it depends on what happens tonight um if the ukrainians manage to push back the russian spearhead From the airport if they do this then it will probably be another day but if not then i guess russia will put a lot of troops on the ground there tonight and then we might see kiev surrounded by tomorrow Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so can you any of you guesstimate uh, a number of casualties at this point
1: Um, it's in the
0: hundreds right
1: at four o'clock so around 10 hours after the beginning of the operation the Lugansk People's Republic has stated that during these first 10 hours they have uh, destroyed 19 military vehicles um, three motor platoons and up to two full companies of military personnel of the Ukrainian Army so that would be in the hundreds already
0: yeah close to the thousand probably
2: I mean, uh, I mean, according to uh, some, like, um, sort of a military nerd friend of mine who, like, does these calculations, the, he estimates that the Ukrainians will be losing around a thousand men per day.
1: hmm It's interesting mm-hmm. that it's interesting that Russia is being extremely humane in what they're doing with these r- really precision strikes, the likes of which I don't know. Have we ever seen anything like this? It's like Desert Storm on steroids. And, well, and uh, I mean,
2: targeting technology is uh,
1: cheaper now. I mean, you yes, have, of course, uh, you, have,
2: you have this in built within fighter jets, so like if, you, if you're talking about aerial bombardment. Uh, so you don't, mm, even really I think, need, even uh, need to, I, think uh,
1: yeah. I think the vast majority of the early strikes were um, Iskander and caliber rockets because they first had to clear out the yeah. uh, air defense, of course. So, yeah, yeah, um, I mean, I mean, yeah but what, what I actually is. wanted to say was mm-hmm. that, um, the Russian forces specifically have not targeted barracks, army barracks. So they could have inflicted horrendous casualties in the first hour of the war, if they wanted to. Yeah, they want to
0: maintain a reputation uh, and not uh, make uh, regular people more hostile than they, they need to be. And I also was amazed at how nonchalant were the people shooting various videos tanks going on the road and they're oh there are tanks cool not very terrified at all yes Anatoly, you want to uh, Yeah, something? i mean
2: uh, i do think that she will take care to uh, minimize uh, ukrainian casualties as well but uh, in in warfare there's always a sort of a um, uh, a uh, uh, a balance because uh, if, if you try to uh, limit tools of engagement too much then you uh, lose more of your own soldiers and ultimately, it's natural for any army to prioritize the lives of its, of its own soldiers uh, over those of the enemy side. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I don't think uh, Russia will be brutal, but um, uh, one, one, one thing that you also need to bear in mind is that uh, during the early stages of a conflict, most uh, sort of bombardments, they focus on taking out military equipment, enemy military equipment, uh, simply because they're more valuable targets. At the beginning, they're denser. Uh, So, uh, the fact that the barracks haven't been bombed, I mean, it probably doesn't actually mean that much, to be honest. Uh, There were simply more lucrative targets, uh, Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, anti-air defense would would be the obvious one, very, very big one. Uh, That Turkish junk, those (laughs) barrack which were lighted up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think we, uh, Russian forces, destroyed around a third of all barrack Ukraine has today. Uh, Do you have any idea, like what's happening with Odessa, or or why uh, Russian forces aren't attacking Odessa? There have been rumors about like uh, naval spearheads and so on, but I haven't seen any confirmation of that. Uh, As far as I know, Odessa is pretty quiet right now.
2: Well, yeah, it seems that uh, that uh, it was fake news at the beginning. Well, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was. uh, Pretty, pretty, skillful of, of, of Russia to spread those rumors, of course. But yeah, it seems like there's no amphibious assault uh, there uh, in 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 any major way at any date. And uh, well, I, I mean, I guess it's not a priority, right, Odessa? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, the priority would be to encircle the uh, uh, the formations in the Donbass and to uh, capture capture yes. Kiev, Ky- Kharkov uh, uh, and Mariupol. And uh, I think that frankly, once the um, uh, Ukrainian forces are destroyed in detail east of the Dnieper, uh, then uh, uh, there'll be extremely little resistance to just uh, going to the Polish border, essentially.
1: Mm.
0: Yes, and still I wonder what is the end game. Uh, it's hard to imagine what this military operation actually will bring in a week or so. Uh, Denazification probably means overthrowing Ukrainian government. Uh, installing a puppet regime so what are your thoughts about that is this even possible
1: i mean obviously it's the let's call it pretext maybe to remove the ukrainian regime the kiev regime as it exists right now and i'm pretty sure that this will happen um i'm reading right now that boris johnson apparently offered Zelensky asylum in britain
0: what a kind man <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right, and uh, so I guess the government will be replaced. And I mean, the logical thing would be to hold a bunch of referendums. Right. Ab- Illegal about...
0: According to the West.
1: Yes, but yeah,
0: that's. Well, uh... Will it be just a, a giant uh, Abkhazia or Ossetia or DNR? This is quite crazy to me. Anatoly, will... what do you think?
1: Yes. This is
2: extremely speculative, and I'm aware that the sort of standard viewpoint now is that uh, that, uh, that Ukraine minus the Donbass will become a puppet state. I mean, the problem is that I don't see this as a very uh, sort of uh, stable situation in the long term, because Ukraine, even minus the Donbass, uh, will still be a pretty, pretty big country of, uh, of uh, 30 million people, uh, which will now be understandably extremely hostile to Russia and uh, the puppet regime will be very unstable. I, it will have an open border uh, with like the EU-NATO countries I mean, uh, not to like make any sort of undue comparisons but uh, yeah, I mean, just to Ill- illustrate how difficult privatization is uh, uh, so Vichy France, for instance pursued uh, policies which were which were remarkably independent of uh, of Nazi Germany, they were even executing uh, German spies uh, like even though they were essentially surrounded by, by them and uh, like the Western Allies were like a, a way, right? Uh, so, uh, um, puppetizing a big Ukraine like that, I don't really think that's very, very realistic, because at the end of the day, such a Ukraine would not be an aphasia And Abhazia has, what, 300,000 people or something like that? Uh, so, I think, uh, I think, uh, um, I, I mean, this is a very bold prediction, and I mean, I'm not uh, guaranteeing that this is how, how the Kremlins think. Uh, but frankly, what I would do is uh, use annex directly annex um, at at a minimum the territories of Novorossiya, and preferably all the way up to the borders of
0: nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, the corridor to Prinistrovia seems uh, very plausible. Yes, I
1: mean, I mean that's uh, why I assumed that uh, there would be an amphibious landing in Odessa as well. Because uh, you could uh, directly uh, re- re- reach out uh, like to Tiraspol from there
2: well, I mean, I mean, I think you will you will get one uh, in a in a uh, couple of days' time.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and well, Nova will probably not uh, add it to Russian federation proper, and will be another unrecognized republic, well, judging by the Kremlin's logic with DNR and LNR.
2: Well, I mean, in fairness, uh, back when the, uh, I mean, Russia denied that it was actually involved in the uh, LNR and DNR at all. Uh, So, you know, these are two different worlds because uh, back then uh, we were sort of playing out this fiction uh, so as not to get sanctioned. And uh, also because uh, Putin's plan was to shove back the Donbass into, into the Ukraine uh, to act as a lever uh, to promote Ukrainian federal- federalization. And uh, in the end, to, uh, to like, because the natural orientation of the eastern provinces of Ukraine at any date is, uh, is very pro implicitly pro uh, this sort of uh, federalization was expected to sort of lead uh, uh, Ukraine naturally falling back into Russia's orbit. I mean, none of that obviously happened, and uh, Zelensky instead uh, decided to stand in the unitary state and uh, uh, and uh, make uh, Ukrainian the sole language of learning in schools. And and so on. And the uh, imprisoned uh, Medvedchuk, uh, shut down all the uh, pro-Russian TV channels. So obviously the Kremlins at this stage were faced either with uh, uh, a unitary Ukraine and anti-Russia project on their borders, whose entire identity was built around, around anti russianness or the increase uh, the, um, the betting pool, uh, like uh, move, move all their chips to the center of the table. And this is what we did. And uh, uh, relationships with the West we are probably going to be broken for the next decade, uh, very radically uh, broken. Uh, so I don't think that there's any inherent logic in in uh, uh, in avoiding uh, outright annexation at this point.
0: Yeah. What's the worst that uh, the West could inflict on Russia after the conflict?
2: Uh, cutting off the banks from the Western financial system, probably. I mean, uh, uh,
1: Do you think kicking, this is likely?
2: C- well, I mean, I think the discussions are already ongoing, uh, and uh, I think, I think yes, that's that's likely. I don't think we'll actually be kicked out of SWIFT, uh, but uh, the uh, importance of of SWIFT is often very much uh, overestimated uh, because uh, uh, it's just a financial communication system essentially. Uh, you can use alternatives without without much problem uh so yeah i mean cutting out the financial system uh obvi- obviously some techno like a massively stepped up restrictions on technological exports microchips uh sort of like uh, what you had with respect to the soviet union back during the cold war mm-hmm. uh we can certainly expect this uh but uh one I think I've uh, sort of uh, frequently made the voice that in the uh, modern world, this is actually significantly less important than it was uh, uh, 50 years ago uh, for the rather banal reason that uh, Western uh, GDP as a share of world GDP and uh, uh, technological monopolies, they have uh, strongly declined. And frankly, uh, much of what we'll need in terms of trade or technological imports, we'll be able to find in East Asia. Uh, who uh, don't care about the conflict and uh, yeah i mean uh, uh yeah this is like one thing i'm happy about is that uh, uh indeed we have maintained uh good good relationships with uh with china uh it has reciprocated uh many many Russian nationalists were skeptical about the importance of the uh china vector but uh, uh happily putin was uh more uh, sighted than many of them
0: and the most important question of all i uh, recently i bought uh... A trip to Greece. Will it happen for me in June? <laughs> what do you think, guys? Because I'm kind of worried. Uh, will Russian citizens allowed in EU zone at all? Yeah,
2: I will think I will get be... my Schengen? It will probably depend on the country. I mean, I just said that, it's the, Greece. that uh, Czechia, for instance, cut off uh, issue, issuing visas to Russians. So perhaps not not individual countries, but I think uh, I think some countries will be fine. Probably even uh, even within the EU, like uh, like uh, within like Hungary. Uh, and I hope
0: uh, for Orthodox brotherhood. Uh, yeah. I yeah. mean it's,
2: uh, Serbia, Serbia. Obviously, I mean, uh, if I have some Serbian nationalist fans who keep inviting me, and I don't really have any doubts whatsoever that uh, I'll be able to visit Serbia. I mean, Vučić uh, didn't even condemn uh is sort of uh, invasion of ukraine which is uh, perfectly normal because you know the ukrainians have a friendship with uh with Kloet, so uh, i mean what were they expecting
1: mm, i've been a bit surprised by uh, india's reaction everyone is mad at the indians for not condemning russia India has had very good relationships with the Soviet Union, so, I mean, yeah, essentially...
2: That I know. Uh, yeah, Yeah, uh, so... Uh...
0: Well, every single day will be incredibly interesting, to say the least, and a bit dreadful also for people living in Russia, and especially for people living in Ukraine. It's uh, what happening guys waited for so long, and now Russia will never be the same, right? Uh, Being Russian, it's not just uh, post-Soviet Red Scare era memes, no. It's uh, another game entirely, so... uh, As you can spot through our Twitter account, being Russian became very popular. In the closure, Anatoly, what would you want to say?
2: uh well i mean i think uh, uh, i think this is basically yes putin uh, deciding to become a great man of history uh he failed uh, uh, i mean the, the, the integrating the russian world was uh, i think uh, one of his sort of goals uh, uh and uh, uh, ambitions to enter history and uh, the player schemes such as Eurasian union failed after e- Euromaidan. maidan uh, put the final kibosh on minsk too uh, so, uh, uh, but you know what the final argument of kings is? Uh, it's the canon. Uh, that's uh, sort of like the phrase that was engraved on on French cannons under uh, Louis the Fourteenth. So uh, uh, Putin uh, has the courage of his convictions, and uh, he decided to go on this on this stout And I think that uh, he uh, does seem to have the popular approval of uh, uh, of the majority of. Uh, of, of the Russian people in this, uh, in this scheme. It's, uh, we, we, this is the moment at which we decide uh, whether we want to uh, uh, become a cosmic superpower of the 21st century, uh, or the tie into being uh, an irrelevant sort of like a, a country that uh, lives from oil pipelines and uh, doesn't really offer anything interesting to the world. Putin has decided to make that courageous gamble. I'm uh, fully behind him. This is uh, certainly
0: more romantic. But uh, Russian people will not react uh, too badly. Although liberal intelligentsia already decrying the war, uh, as you probably have heard, every single actor, musician, and uh, TV guys like Urgant, uh, working for First Channel, are saying no to war, etc. But uh, regular Russians will be Not for it, but not against it for sure, if it doesn't uh,
2: affect them
0: very negatively, and we'll see about that, I hope it
2: won't. I mean, the people like the stunk horse. I mean, this is like a constant of politics. People like winners; they want to associate with uh, with winners. Uh, they hate losers. So Japan got bombed, uh, nuked by by the U.S. in 1945, and then they were very enthusiastic allies of the U.S. So uh, if you uh, win, then uh, everything else resolves itself. And I mean, those uh, uh, sort of uh, the intelligence anti-war protesters were well, where they when. Uh, uh, the Ukraine was shelling Donbass for the past eight years. I mean, they couldn't care. I mean, their pacifism is is entirely situational, and uh, only uh, only sort of activates uh, whenever uh, whenever it's uh, Russia doing something for Russians.
0: Kirill, what should we expect uh, tomorrow? What do you think?
1: I mean, I guess it depends on how much happens at night, because uh, that's hard to tell. But I'm. Pretty confident that the next step uh, for the Russian forces is now to take uh, first Kherson and then Nikolaev in the same direction. Uh, and then also Kharkov, Poltava, and Mariupol. These are probably the things we're going to see, the cities we're going to see fall next. And then, of course, Kyiv. The Kyiv operation is also ongoing. Yes, it depends when the troops uh, coming from Belarusia uh, arrive near Kiev and can, or if they manage to encircle the city, because it's, well, a bit difficult, uh, I guess, because of the Dnieper and so on. But we'll see. So, I mean, I in the beginning of this episode, I pointed out the uh, vectors where troops are going, where troops probably will be going. So I think we're going to see a lot of that tomorrow.
0: So, yes, uh, we'll try to keep you up to date uh, via Twitter or doing podcast uh, wherever we can, because it's a very important time for Russia and the world and we'll be at the center of every happening. Please uh, press like and uh, thank Kirill for his uh, service (laughs) (laughs) in the comments. See you next day.
2: Okay, thanks for having me on. It was uh, very good to chat with you as, uh, as always.